0: Very good morning to everyone. It's just a pleasure to be here with all of you. Uh, Kyle's right. I I only see one face maybe that I've not met before in here today and and won't be a stranger after a few more minutes, will we? We'll, we'll get to know one another. It's just good to be with you all and uh, delighted to be back here with you all for this series of, of, of studies together. Uh, Kyle told me that you all were interested in studying some contemporary issues and I meditated on that a little bit, and I got to thinking, well, really any topic can be contemporary if the preacher does his job right and makes the right application. And so um, I, I looked through some lessons that I had, and and uh, I'm getting a little bit of a ring. Is that normal? Okay. I uh, looked through some lessons, and I, I, I meditated on that, and I picked some out that I think will be very profitable to you. Uh, we're going to ask some questions in all of our lessons um, that are kind of frequently asked questions. There, there are topics that come up from time to time as I study with people uh, and interact with, with folks in Bible study situations. And the first thing we're going to talk about this morning as we kind of start, start off our, our series of lessons together is, is this question. Is it wrong to have doubts about God? And to my understanding is Kyle's made available some fill-in-the-blank outlines. I do this on a regular basis back home in Georgetown. The, the, the little trifold brochures will have spaces to fill in that correlate with my powerpoints, a lot of people like that. Um, it helps them, you know. To you, they say, if you hear something, write something, and, and see something, and and you know, you can memorize it better. I think people like it because it helps them not get so drowsy. Gives them something to do while I'm talking. So if you just need it for doodle, that's fine as well. <laughs> um, but we're going to ask this question: Is it wrong to have doubts about God this morning as we start out our lesson together? You know, believing in God. It really comes down to a matter of faith. I mean, I know that's kind of an overly simplified statement. In fact, I guess you could say all religious questions belong in the realm of faith. And I think we all understand how important faith is. It's vitally important, yet many people, I think, misunderstand it, thinking that faith means you have to just take your mind out, throw it away, and believe blindly whatever the preacher says or something such as that. Well, that is not what biblical faith is about. Biblical faith is a combination of assurance and conviction. And we need to understand that. For many, if if not all, who put their faith in the eternal, most holy God, when life throws them a curveball, that's when their faith begins to waver. And and, and as we'll see, for many, it's because uh, their faith isn't rooted in anything solid. For others, it may simply be a case of needed reassurance So in in every instance, when those things happen, it prompts the question that we're going to talk about. Is it wrong to have doubts about God? I've actually had studies with people, and they say, I just kind of doubt in God. Am Am I wrong? Am I in sin? Well, that's a good question, because this is going to happen. Some will say yes, and add that it's even wrong to talk about such things. Well, obviously, I'm not one of those, because we're talking about it. But I want to show you from Scripture that such doubt can and does happen. Yet without sin, so to begin our study, we have to have a solid understanding of of what faith is. We we already mentioned that faith is assurance and conviction. The scriptural definition of faith is found in Hebrews chapter eleven and verse one. You may even have this passage memorized: that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction. Of things not seen. I memorize that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And those words essentially mean the same thing and just translate it slightly differently. And so a good question to ask here is where, where do the assurance, where does the assurance and where does the conviction of our faith come from? Well, the answer is from knowledge or evidence of things hoped for or things not seen. You see, it's your knowledge of something that allows you to trust it. Uh, And and, and seeing the evidence is what gives your faith confidence. So so biblical faith isn't a blind faith. No, biblical faith isn't a blind faith that operates without any reason to believe. Rather, biblical faith looks at the evidences, and, and it's one of the reasons that the apostles of Jesus recorded many of the miracles that were performed by Jesus. John chapter 20 Starting in verse 30, it says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Evidences are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. There's proof. There's evidence for us that we look at the evidences. These things are here for us to consider. Let me give you what I would call a practical example of faith. I don't fly on airplanes not because I'm scared, it's because I ain't got the money to go anywhere, so I don't fly on airplanes. Um, But uh, you you exercise faith every time you fly on an airplane. You you may not even see the pilot, uh, but you place your faith in him or her to safely fly the plane. You probably have not seen the expert engineers and the machinists and the craftsmen who built the machine, the aircraft, but you believe the plane you are flying on is airworthy. So where do you get the assurance you're traveling safely? right? You don't see the pilot, you don't see the guys who built, you don't see any of that. Where do you get the faith, the assurance that you're traveling safely? Well, you've no doubt placed your faith in the knowledge of the aircraft's record of performance and the FAA rules that regulate and monitor the airline industry. That's where you've placed your faith. There is overwhelming evidence, if you go and research the numbers, there's overwhelming evidence that airline travel is safe And that knowledge of the evidence gives assurance and conviction to your belief. The point is, your faith, when we talk about biblical faith, it's a lot like that. It's based upon knowledge. When we talk about this airline, your faith here is based upon knowledge about the airline company and its strict rules of operations. You've gained assurance based on intelligent or knowledgeable faith or on personal experience. Your faith isn't a blind faith. It require that requires no information or evidence at all, nor is it a faith that requires exhaustive empirical evidence. You don't get on that plane only after you've examined every rivet and every wire and every stitch of fabric. No, you don't. That's that would be exhaustive empirical evidence. That's not what's required. Believing something Without clear evidence is like taking a leap of faith, as they would say, into the dark. Whereas acting on faith that is based or rooted in clear evidence is like stepping into the light. There's a really big difference. Let me give you a biblical example from the Old Testament. If you remember back to the story of Moses, all of us have studied that that account. Moses was sent back to Pharaoh, uh, the leader of Egypt, to deliver God's message and to release the people, and God worked miracles through uh, his hands uh, to convince Pharaoh to release the children of Israel. And we all remember the story. It took many, many, many times, and Pharaoh finally relented. But the evidence of God's might had a profound impact on Israel. In Exodus chapter 14 and verse 31, because of the mighty power he had used against the Egyptians, speaking of God's might through his miracles and his wonders, the Israelites worshipped him and trusted him and his servant Moses. See, evidence of God isn't always that pronounced. Now, in this case, it was. They saw the the signs. They saw the darkness. They saw the locusts. They saw all of these things And because of God's power, they worshipped him. Because of God's power, they served him. But the evidence of God isn't always that obvious and pronounced. Most of the time, God's hidden from us in the material world. And we must continue to believe anyway. Yet, that doesn't mean we can't be assured or have deep conviction about him based on evidence. Because faith and evidence work together. This is what we need to understand. Faith and evidence work together. No matter how exhaustive or uh, convincing the evidence is, we still must exercise faith. For instance, when I married my wife, when I married Chris, I did not have exhaustive, complete knowledge about her. I couldn't know absolutely that, 100% sure, that she was a person of integrity. It just wasn't possible to know that. That of course was important to me. I wanted to uh, to marry a person who loved me and would be faithful and true to me. So during and beginning in our dating period, I actually began the project, if you will, of learning to know who she is, becoming getting to know her as the person who she is. But I, at that point, when I start to get to know her and, and learn who she is, I was able to gain sufficient evidence to make a wise. You could even say inform decision about who she is on the moral character of the person that I eventually married. Yet it still took a step of faith, right? It still took a step of faith for both of us to place our love and trust in each other. Here's the truth of the matter. Here's what I want you to see. You don't always, you won't always have exhaustive evidence for believing in most things. It's just unfortunate. That's just the case. But you can find sufficient evidence to establish that what you believe is credible and objectively true. When it comes to God, he wants a relationship with us more than anything. And the key to a relationship is trust. So the more we know about God's character, the more we know about God's heart and his motivations and, and his desires, the deeper our convictions will grow, and the stronger our faith will be in his person and who he is. Faith and evidence work hand in hand that way. For example, when trying times come into your life, your faith in God can and most certainly will be tested. Tragedies like a a devastating storm that destroys your house or the loss of a job or a terrible disease that takes a loved one from you That can test your faith. To the limit, it can test your faith. It's easy at those times to ask, why? Why did this happen? Why, God? Why, why, why? And far too often, there's no satisfying answer. We can be tempted to ask questions like, doesn't God see what's happening? Doesn't God care about me and my life? Why doesn't God do something about it? I want you to consider a verse over in 1 Peter. I didn't put this one on the screen, so you're going to have to use your fingers to turn to it. 1 Peter chapter 1. In 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 7. Speaking here that going through trials, various trials, you've been greatly grieved by this. He says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, what Peter is saying here is that testing our faith makes our faith stronger and makes it more valuable. That's not a hard thing to understand. I'm sure you get that. But have you ever stopped and thought, given some thought about why your faith is so precious and important to God? Have you ever stopped and thought about that? Here's the answer. The answer is because a strong and pure faith in God is a faith full of knowledge of who he is. More than anything, God wants us to know him for who he is. That's what God wants. He wants us to rely on him during trying times. He wants us to know he's there for us no matter what. Listen to Jesus' prayer over in John chapter 17. Let's turn over there together. There are some passages in the Bible that just leave me almost speechless. And John 17 is one of those for me. In John chapter 17, Jesus is speaking these words. This is just hours before he's brutally murdered, put to death on the cross. It says here in chapter 17, verse 3, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus looking down the barrel of death. It's here. It's coming. He's ours. It's the night before. He wants his disciples to know God. He prayed for that. To know God is to trust our lives to him. That's what that's what that means. And the more we come to know God, the more we come to know him, the more we can place our complete trust in him. In Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 6, the Bible tells us why faith is important. We understand that faith is precious because it's, it's valuable, because it's full of knowledge of God, but it's important because, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them who diligently seek him. How important is faith? Well, it's absolutely necessary if we want to please God. Your faith in God, if your faith in God, I should say, is weak. And that happens from time to time. Our faith becomes weak. If it is, you need to look at the evidence of God's existence and the evidence of God's identity, and and clarify for yourselves the many misunderstandings about him. As you come to know who God really is and what he is really like, the more your faith in him will deepen. If I'm not mistaken, I was thinking the other day, Kyle had told me a story about uh, that Phil Morgan had shared with you all, I think here, uh, when he was here for a meeting. At some point, about how Phil snuck over when he was preaching there at Paris into Paul Johnson's study. And he was looking at what Paul was studying. And if I remember right, was he not studying about who God is and faith in God? Here's a man, a soldier of Christ who had preached the gospel for years and influenced lives of many, not digging into the controversial topics, but studying who is God. The more that you come to know who God really is and what he's really like, the more your faith in him will deepen. But you know, that may not stop us from becoming discouraged and confused and doubtful from time to time. It happens. So that brings us back to our question that we're considering this morning. Is it wrong to have doubts about God? Plain and simple. If we understand what faith is and how important it is and how precious it is, is it wrong to have doubts about God? I want you to remember this. God wants us, he wants us to believe in him. That's what his desire is. He wants us to place our faith in him and believe that he has our best interests at heart. So is it wrong to have some doubts creep into our hearts and our minds? Doubts over what God has said about what he's commanded in the Bible. Doubts about how we are to live out the Christian life. Is that wrong? Well, to answer this question, I'd like to consider the faith of John the Immerser, John the Baptist, you go ahead and turn your Bibles over towards Matthew chapter 11. And think about John as you're turning there. Who John was. John was a cousin of Jesus in the flesh. But John was a great man. He was the one who made straight the way, the path for Jesus. He was preparing the hearts of the people for the coming of the Messiah. That was his whole purpose in life. He ate honey and bugs and lived out in the wilderness and baptized people unto repentance to get things ready for the Lamb of God. And do you remember what happens in John's life. Remember, he's the one who proclaims Jesus' true identity in John chapter 1 and verse 34 when he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Well, in John's life, after a very difficult life, his faith seemed to waver when he was imprisoned and things were looking rather grim for him. And so he sent his followers to Jesus to ask a question. In Matthew chapter 11, And you can read the first couple verses to set the context. John's in prison in verse 2. And then he comes down to verse 3. His disciples are sent with a question of, to Jesus. The question is, Jesus, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Now, keeping in mind, John chapter 1 and verse 34, he says, Behold the Lamb of God and points at Jesus. Did John already figure out who Jesus was? The answer is yes. But here, what's he asking? Are you the coming one? Are you the Lamb of God, he's asking? Are you that person, or should we look for somebody else? In other words, are you who you say you are, who I said you were, or are you not? There's some doubt here. John had some doubt. You can only imagine after an entire life of living for the purpose of preparing hearts for God in the wilderness, like I said, eating honey and bugs He's finally thrown into prison. And perhaps here is where things got hard. He's, he's older, maybe not old, old. I mean, he could have been, a, you know, he was a little bit older than Jesus, but he was still a young man. He's in prison, and he finds himself wondering why Jesus maybe wasn't coming to rescue him. If Jesus is the Lamb of God, come get me. I'm your faithful servant. Or maybe he was wondering why Jesus hadn't established a kingdom. I don't really know what his thought process was. We're not told in scripture, but we clearly see some question. Here's some doubt on the part of John the Baptist. He's really no different than us, is he? Just like we do when we're faced with difficulties, John the Baptist experienced doubts. But do you know what happens? Look at the passage. He's not rebuked. He's not condemned no, no, he 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 is actually he's answered. Jesus gives his answer. Jesus isn't upset with him. Looking at Jesus' disciples is another example. When they were questioning Jesus, who he actually was over in John chapter 14, he answered them plainly. He didn't say, you evil, wicked people, shame on you, I can't stand your face, get out of my presence. Nothing like that. He didn't, he didn't tell John that he was disappointed in him, shame on you for doubting. No, he answers. In John chapter 14, we see Jesus' answer to his disciples when they asked who he was, and they needed faith, they didn't know, he says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus wasn't put off by his followers' doubts. He had, the fact that they had, had wanted some proof, he wasn't put off by that. He wasn't upset by that. We don't see any indication of Jesus rebuking these people and being upset by that. But well, what's he do in both cases? You can look at the situation with John and the situation with Jesus' disciples. Jesus appeals to the evidence to establish that he was who he claimed to be. He does it in both cases. He says, look at the works. Look at what you've seen. Look at the evidence. And so from these examples, we can learn that God wants our faith to be assured. He wants our faith, our trust in him to be assured. This happens when our faith becomes deepened by our conviction. And having some uncertainties at times isn't necessarily wrong. Like John, we sometimes lack sufficient evidence to support our faith. Uh, And so seeking to know why we believe what we believe can strengthen our faith and by no means is sinful. Many of our doubts can be put aside as our faith becomes more intelligent about the evidences and we know and knowing why we believe what we believe. But the evidences are not limited to things like Christ's resurrection and his deity and uh, the reliability of Scripture alone. There are evidences about God's character and God's nature that will support our faith and remove our doubts. God wants our faith assured. Let me give you a biblical example to show this. Over in Mark, look in Mark chapter 9. We find a story of a man who came to Jesus hoping for healing for his son. The very fact that he hoped for healing and came to Jesus shows faith. That very thing, those facts shows faith. But in Mark chapter 9, we read in verse 22. Let's read this here. Mark 9 verse 22 um, It says, and often he is talking about the boy and how, you know, Jesus asks how long has this been happening to him? And the man says, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Speaking of the possession, speaking of the, the malady here. But if you can do anything, look what the father says, have compassion on us and help us. There's absolutely no doubt this man had faith. He had faith because he came to the one and only person who could heal his son. That demonstrates his faith. He didn't go to the physicians in town. He didn't go to the, those who practiced pharmacia and witchcraft. He went to the son of God. He had faith. But he wanted help from Jesus, not to doubt that the master would heal his son. This is what he's actually seeking. Yeah, he's seeking healing, but he's seeking reassurance. He's seeking He's seeking help from Jesus to not doubt that Jesus cared. You know, you stop and think about this situation. If you read the context and study it a little bit like I had done before, and you think about this, and it's a little speculative, and that's okay. We're not going too far. It's very possible that this father had probably heard stories of the miracles that Jesus had worked. He was from that same area. People talked. There were thousands of people who followed Jesus. He he may have, it's very possible, he may have personally known the blind man who got his sight back because of Jesus. They are in the same area. He may have known him or known of him. He may have, this father may have had a neighbor who had been among the thousands who were fed by the five loaves of bread and the two fish that Jesus blessed. That's all very possible because when you look at that area, it's a very small area. The whole area of Palestine could fit inside of the state of Kentucky and the part where Jesus was doing these miracles would fit in about a four-county area You know what's going on in Georgetown because I know what's going on in in, in Jesmond County. It's not that hard to know these things. Okay, so it's very possible that these situations or something like that could have been the case. So, So the man no doubt believed Jesus and that Jesus had the power to heal his son. But the big question for him was, will Jesus care enough to heal my son? That's what he says. If you'll have compassion, if you will help, do you have enough compassion to help us is essentially what he asked Jesus. So sometimes our doubts revolve around our faith in God's nature and God's compassion. Questions like, does God care enough about me to heal my child? Does he want to meet my material needs? Will he keep me safe? It's important to know evidences of his caring heart to help remove our doubts. Remember the one time when Jesus was taking a nap on a boat while he was crossing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples? You remember that. A fierce storm came, and the disciples thought that they were going to drown. They thought they were going to die. So they woke up Jesus. Jesus gets up. He rebukes the foul weather, and and he he stops the storm. Then he turns to the disciples and asks them, Where is your faith? That was over in Luke chapter 8, and verse 25. You remember that story? They had enough faith to ask Jesus to get up and do something about, so they had faith in who he was, and and it appears that the storm is what occupied the disciples' minds and their emotions, and that kept them from trusting their situation to Jesus. Of course he wanted them to believe he was the one who had the power to calm the storm and who cared enough to keep them safe. He wanted them to have faith in him. On another occasion, Jesus told his disciples not to worry about their need for food and clothing. He said God took care of the birds. He takes care of the birds of the field and the flowers. Over in Luke chapter 12 and verse 28, he says, He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? In both of these cases, we had, had people concerned about their well-being and their provisions and, that, and, and they simply needed to put their faith in God to take care of them. Again, Jesus wanted his followers to focus on the caring and providing nature of his heart. Yet the worries of life and all its insecurities caused them to doubt. Can you relate to that? They can cause us to doubt too. So, How can we defeat doubt? This is the question It gets right down to it. It's not wrong to have doubt. It's wrong to stay in doubt. It's wrong to let doubt drive you to the point of despair and turning away from the Lord and walking away from His body. That's wrong. But to have doubt, we clearly see from Scripture just doubts are not wrong. If we're seeking the evidences to remove the doubt, well, here's how we do it. We gain knowledge about God from His Holy Word. If you have some doubts... Go to the source of the evidences and look for the answers. Remember that faith is assurance and conviction working together based upon evidences that we cannot see. Yet we can know enough to confidently place our trust in Almighty God. I've known of people, you know of people, who begin to doubt. And that doubt leads to questions. And those questions lead to confusion. And then at that point, right there at that point, if they stopped... Turn to God's word, and honestly, openly, sincerely studied God's word and accepted the answers from the evidences there, they would have been fine. But they don't go here. They just keep wandering out here with their doubts, asking people, human opinions, and, and, and evidences, and they're not going to find it there. And they just keep on wandering until they're gone. They wander right off from the church. They wander right off from the Lord. And they might think they're doing the right things, but they're certainly not because their doubts Their questions, let them away from the evidences, and they're not going to find them out there. My friends, we have to gain knowledge about God from God's word. That's the source of evidence. If we look anywhere else, you're not going to find it. So the answer here is get in the word. Study Meditate honestly, sincerely, exposing yourself, reading God's word, letting it flush out the doubts and the fears and and, and fill yourselves with the evidence of the truth of God's word. So, study and place our focus. Focus. Draw our eyes to our attention to the providing and protective nature of God's heart. That's who He is, He's our Father. This allows us to follow Peter's admonition over in 1 Peter chapter 5. Turn over there if you'd like to again. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. It's verse 6. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, right? The protection, the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Now, I know we can intellectually say that, but we have to deep down almost subconsciously get this. The future is unknown. Our lives are full of uncertainty. Our lives are full of insecurity. And while it's in our nature to question how things are going to turn out, when we add the knowledge or evidence of the caring heart of God to our faith, our doubts can be removed. Our fears are wiped away. So while it may not be wrong to have some doubts about God, he wants us to remove them. He wants them gone so that we can trust him for whatever comes our way. It's our shield, the shield of faith. It's what protects. It's what we hide behind to keep us safe and secure. My friends, having doubt is not sinful. Having and retaining doubt is sinful. It is our job. It is our responsibility as good sons and daughters of God Most High to endeavor to do the things that remove doubt. And that takes effort on our part. And there's only one source. It's the evidences that God has provided that combine with our assurance and our firm conviction it's my experience as we kind of finish up here. We only got a minute or two. It's my experience as I've studied with people, counseled with people. It's in most cases of doubt, the individual has yielded their emotions and mental well-being to fear. That's the vast, vast majority of cases. When doubts creep into a person's heart, they have allowed fear to consume them. We must daily... Daily, let our faith be bigger than our fear. Think about shields, using that analogy as Paul does in Ephesians 6. If my shield is smaller than me, how can I hide behind it, right? Think about a Roman shield. It was almost full size, body size. An entire man could hide behind it. If my shield is small, paper thin, if it's weak, if there's a hole in it, if something's not sufficient with it, how in the world is it going to protect me? How in the world is it going to stop the fiery darts of Satan? A proper shield in the days of the New Testament was large and wooden and heavy with metal around the edges and it was covered on the outside with a leather or material that was soaked in water so that when a strong arrow, flaming arrow would hit it, it would stick in it and it would, go psss, and it would fizzle out. It would extinguish the fiery dart of Satan. Now if my faith, if my shield is weak, if it's made of paper, if it's full of fear, if there's something in it, there's a hole, those arrows aren't going to be stopped. We must daily let our faith be bigger than our fear and confidently place our trust in God because he has revealed sufficient, more than sufficient evidences to give us assurance of his love and his provision for us both here and in the life to come. There's no lack of evidence And if we do these things, we can have the assurance and conviction of Job. You don't have to turn to Job 19 unless you just want to. I put it on the screen here. Job 19, verses 25 through 27 from the contemporary English version says, I know, listen to Job, he says, I know my Savior lives. There's faith. And at the end, he will stand on this earth. There's confident assurance. He says, my flesh may be destroyed, yet from this body I will see God. Yes, I will see him for myself, and I long for that moment. That's the assurance and the conviction we need. That should be the assurance and conviction you want. So the question for you this morning as we finish up now, is your faith in God strong enough today to hold up against the attacks of Satan? We're all going to have times when we fall short and we fail. That's, that's unfortunately normal. But we don't stay there. We strengthen ourselves. We look at the evidences. We build up our faith, and we refit ourselves for the battle daily. Day by day, we fit ourselves with the armor of God to go into battle to, to, to conquer the foe. Jesus already vanquished the foe. He's conquered death and Satan. All we have to do is daily quarrel and fight and spar with him and keep the faith until we're taken home to be with God. Committing your life to Jesus takes faith. Faith in who he is. Faith in his loving, caring, provident heart. So the question is, are you convicted in your heart that Jesus is God's son who died on the cross to redeem you from sin and death? Do you seek the assurance of hope that is found only in the salvation that Jesus offers? Are you daily letting your faith be bigger than your fear, looking at the evidences and being like Job saying, I know my Savior lives. I will see him one day and I long for that moment. So take these into consideration, and, and this will help you as we look at some of the other lessons we're going to talk about. I, I studied this one first with you all because as we look at other questions like, how can a loving God send people to hell? We're going to talk about that in a few minutes, and then later on this afternoon I'm going to ask the question we're going to examine: Is God sexist? In light of all things going on in our society, today, is God sexist? Then tomorrow night we're going to talk about. Can I really just attend the church of my choice? People have questions. People have doubts about that. Can I just go to church where I want? And then finally on Tuesday night, we're going to talk about the question, Is God a genocidal racist? And we'll examine that one. And you need your faith to look at all these questions, to examine the evidences of Scripture and see what the Word of God has to teach us. So take this to heart. Pray on this. Meditate on this. And together we will study God's Word and come to a knowledge of His truth.